Welcome back to Queued Up with Ziz and Pam. So we were just having a conversation off air and we decided to do our next segment right away because of so many of the topics that we just brought up in the last segment. I mean, we, we went from praxis and crash to branding to flourishing to relational intelligence. So if we, if we stayed on that particular subject, relational intelligence, it, it prompted a few questions in my mind, which was, how did we get here? We talked about how we met, but Pam, how in the world <laughs> did you develop these skill sets that you have? Because uh, you're, you're actually embodying what it is that we're talking about. Well, I think for me, and again, it's a process. I mean, I'm 60 years old. I mean, I've, I've had, and I was an older parent. So it's, it's an interesting process to parent after you have had, uh, you know, a lot of experience in life that you begin to develop your value system of what's important and what's not. But so it started with me wanting to be a lawyer. I was going to be a lawyer. That was what I was going to be. I liked the whole image, the suit, the whole thing. Again, it was at the time where women and professionalism was almost demanded. I mean, if you were a woman, you know, getting a, a professional degree and getting in there and fighting for your position as an executive was really something that was valid, validated, you know, in our society. So, uh, so I go to school. And I start at a state school. Actually, I dropped out of junior college twice. My dad's like, go. I graduated. I was 17 when I graduated. And he said, can you, um, can you go ahead and uh, just go to college? He was the only, my mom did not, my dad did. And he was uh, first generation American. So he said, go. But I just was bored. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went and I worked for a year. And then I went to a state college. And then I transferred to USC. So when I got there, I was doing all the pre-law and everything else, and I ended up um, deciding that uh, this wasn't what I wanted to do. I, I, my last semester, I did a project on real estate, and I just fell in love with the real estate market. So um, I actually got accepted to uh, Santa Clara Law School, was all ready to go, and made the decision to not go. And, but my, my major was finance and business economics. So it's really financial analyst got hired by Bechtel, uh, which was an engineering firm that was moving into real estate. And so uh, doing the financial uh, spreadsheets and, and, you know, return on investment and everything else of all these new speculative buildings. And then I moved into market research, which turned out to be my love where, and why still to this day that, that market research is, um, that background has enabled me to just go deep in these rabbit holes because I'm so interested in discovery and things like that. So I read a ton and, uh, you know, kind of look back and research as much as I can on things. And so I did that for years. That was the basis of my income, uh, both under um, a uh, corporation, RCL Co., and uh, independently. When I decided to quit my job at 30, I walked in, I said, you know what, my stomach was getting sick, all these signs that are telling me that this successful life I was leading was not fulfilling for me. I wasn't allowing time for relationships. I had tons of friends, I traveled, I, you know, everything, but it wasn't fulfilling. So I had to stop because I actually, my stomach, I had just, it would just get upset before meetings, all this stuff. So I listened I replaced myself. I found a guy who's still there today to handle the staff and the, you know, 
yes. So I kept my responsibility to that. And then I didn't know what I was going to do. And clients kept saying, oh, can you just do this one thing? Can you just do this one thing? And so I ended up with my own business. Um, but a lot of free time where I'd sit on the couch. I mean, I was such a workaholic. I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, began working, met my husband on a blind date, ended up uh, then moving into being a parent and volunteering and running the, you know, different events at the schools and doing a ton of volunteering work with my kids. And uh, so experience with nonprofits. Uh, my husband was an entrepreneur, started his business in a garage, you know, the growth of that and everything that happened. Uh, so I became entrepreneurial, got business background, market research, hit the school system and went, what? <laughs> and and then, that hit my value system of like, but this isn't important for my children's life. Being with their grandparents, having experiences, going to the park, this is important. And so having to constantly be the salmon swimming upstream to try and give them the life that I wanted. So through that, you know, I'm, I'm here today as I aligned with my mission to advocate for the mental health and wellness of students. So when you first started, I had to find the quote. It's by Soren Kierkegaard. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Wow. And uh, actually, the first time I saw that quote was on the, the side of a building at uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, and, and I saw that, I was like, oh, I gotta write that down. And, and, and it just, it's, it's one of my favorite quotes because it is really hard to understand Powerful. as you're going, it's almost like you're going through the force and you don't see exactly what's going on. Um, first of all, I had no idea you were 60 years old, so <laughs> awesome job. But, but, <laughs> but it's, to me, it speaks to you living the life that you've lived. It, you know, in the way you just talked about your experiences, and your children, you know, it was fulfilling. Yeah. And you're living your mission. So I think it, it radiates a certain energy. You know, that's what I feel. And I think that's what's really important. And um, it goes back to what we were talking about in the humanness of what it is that we are as humans looking for, so to speak. Um, obviously, you know, we're, we're recording this during a time that I have never faced, you've never faced. This is, I don't even know what to call what this is, but all of a sudden in India, you can see the sky. Yeah. You know, you, the, there's a lot less pollution. So it's telling us something. So what, you know, so, so we get to learn a lot about ourselves. <laughs> yes. Well, and that's it. I think my, my becoming a parent, prior to becoming a parent, I felt I had to be the one to know. I helped, felt I had to be the T, I had to know, I had to do it right, I had to whatever. And even when I first became a parent, you know, I was reading those parenting books on, you know, positive parenting. And, you know, I wouldn't say, Emily, don't, I'd say not for Emily, you know, I mean, instead of no. And, you know, of course, then you go in the world, I'm like, what am I thinking? <laughs> and um, so I think there's a there's an episode on Modern Family about that too, where <laughs> don't turn on the light switch. It, it was just hilarious. But anyway, so my daughters taught me and it became such a relief to be the learner instead of the teacher. When I just, I didn't have to be the one to tell them, but I had to allow them 
I had to allow them the struggle. I had to allow them the figuring it out. And I had to sit back as the guide and the coach, not as the superior to, to tell them. And I think that's what we've done so much culturally. We've decided that experts can tell us because we don't, we're not able to rely on ourselves. And if we can't teach our children to listen to themselves and to learn, and that sometimes I'm not right. You know, I've learned so many things. The dinner table, we would have discussed, we talked about abortion. We talked about gay marriage. We talked about uh, the, all of this kind of stuff in, at our dinner table where we would argue back and forth about our different viewpoints. And that is where that questioning curiosity, allowing a voice to happen, no matter the age, was so, so critical. But I'm interested in hearing about your background and how you got got here and why you were so interested in, in uh, advocating for students? So my, um, my mom had me when she was 18. So she really didn't say much about this. So it was, it's really interesting. So just to give the full story, and I, I don't even know, am I actually going to do this? That's the conversation <laughs> I'm having in my head. So, so my, yeah, exactly. Brene Brown. I'm a Brene Brown fan. Me too. So um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be courageous and do this. And um, um, my mom had me when she was 18. Um, she was in high school. She was at a school that was the same people as her. So she was, it was a it was segregation. Um, and my biological dad, I actually did not meet until I was, I think I was like 36 or 37 wow. years old. Yeah. So she had gotten married um, to the man who I call my father. And he did a wonderful job in raising me. And, and he was a thinker. He was creative. He actually um, faced a lot of racism because of that time period. He had actually worked at, at Westinghouse. I don't know if people, if I remember correctly, Westinghouse became another firm. It got bought out. So he had top secret clearance. But he hated that job because of the racism that he faced so consequentially he he left that particular job and he was a you know a plumber and trying to build his own business which was it, it was tough it was hard so things weren't exactly easy for me growing up monetarily but i had all all that i needed which was um their love their support um i did sports I actually, I remember I'll, <laughs> when I was in fifth grade, I played football. I wasn't very good. I wasn't, as a matter of fact, one time, you know, my pants, you know, your pants were super white. I remember getting down in the dirt, putting my hands in the dirt, coming up, rubbing the dirt all over my <laughs> pants <laughs> because I didn't, I think I got in for like one or two plays. So I wasn't a very good um, athlete at that time. And then just by playing sports, in the neighborhood and with older students, just just grew, got better, played, enjoyed it. But I was also really inquisitive, and you know, my high school experience was was um, it was interesting. You know, I went to a school, uh, an elementary school, and then we moved. And when we moved, I was in sixth grade, and that was an elementary school. But when we moved, I ended up being in a middle school, so it was sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And going to that particular school, I ended up facing. Uh, racism again, not, that was my first time, to be honest with you. I had no idea because I didn't face that in the elementary school. We didn't have any of those issues. And all of a sudden, because of the color of my skin, we're having these issues. And I'm like, I was like, well, what's wrong with you people? I, I didn't, I didn't feel as, as though anything was wrong with me. Good. 
what was interesting though is like as I would talk to them over the years, you get to know them, they were they they had no idea what category to put me in because I was tutoring, you know, their sister or their sibling. And I was also that really good athlete that their parents would say, Oh yeah, they can do this, you know, the stereotype. And consequently what I'm what I'm basically saying is I'm not a big fan of stereotypes. I hate when people label you based on what they think you are or what you mm -hmm. look like or what you may even do. Mm -hmm. So for me, I've always been in the people business, you know, whether it's been, you know, working with schools or working at the university level, having a business like Curves. I don't know if um, they're not around much anymore, but at oh, one point, yeah, 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 we had three locations. Uh, that was fun. So I also have that entrepreneurial spirit. And um, that's important to me. I think, you know, when I think about that, I was going to ask you the question, like, what is the of, definition of an entrepreneur? And to me, it's just someone who, who might, you might see something, you're like, I think I could do it a little better. Mm -hmm. It's exactly it. Yeah. Exactly. Or, or that it comes from need. That it's like, these are my interests. I need to create it because it's not there, which again is the future of work. The future of work is really not waiting to find a job, but creating one because you see the opportunity or you see the need or because it fits who you are and where you are in your life. Right. Um, but I think our life experiences <laughs> shape us. I mean, I grew up and my, uh, you know, my dad, he was so, it was business and corporations um, at the time that corporations began to be bought out. And so he was a manager. And so he kept having to transition at different points. I mean, he, he would, be a head of a company and then that company would get bought out by another company. It was just the time of that whole consolidation. Uh, my mom who hadn't gone and he traveled internationally a lot, he was gone. And so uh, my mom was an alcoholic most of my life and I had three sisters. So um, we, you know, it, it shapes you in, or shaped me in my level of responsibility young to handle things. And, um, I mean, thank God when I was 20, she, you know, uh, was no longer an alcoholic and we've had a, you know, she's definitely made amends through being a wonderful grandmother and, and mom to us now. But it, that idea that I had to be responsible, that I had to grow up, that I had to, you know, help parent my younger sister, that I had to, you know, all of those, um, I feel like I've gotten younger as I've gotten older, right? And um, and that this is also gets back to the Viktor Frankl, which we have the, the link on our website to uh, Viktor Frankl's story and uh, Viktor Frankl Institute of America, but is that your, your life is frames that you will only see at the end of your life, it goes to the quote you just did, in looking back at the movie. So each moment is a choice. Each moment is a choice to change. You know, if you're in unavoidable situations, it is how we react to them that gives us our power, not in the fact that, that we're powerless. And as a matter of fact, it just goes back to racism and blame and all of that kind of stuff. That is indicative of powerlessness, right? And you were saying that you, you didn't, you were loved and you had this basis and you had this identity that allowed you to withstand that. Um, so how do we empower yep. people to be worthy as they are? Because a lot of this stuff exists in the world. 
right? Right. So, uh, and hopefully it's changing. I mean, I see the generations, but not fast enough, not in all areas, all of that. So how do we empower instead of tagging on to anger, you know, tagging on to, oh, they are wrong and the politicians are wrong and the, you know, whatever. Well, what are you doing? You know, so I always say, you know, fine, if you're mad about what's going on and, you know, the homeless, go feed the homeless. Spend your energy doing something for, not against. Right. You know, it's not to say that you don't create some frameworks, but this level of anger that somebody else needs to solve it or that uh, we need to be against stuff and sit back and say, okay, that, that's why we got ourselves in this situation. We gave up our personal responsibility every day to have meaning in our lives and to have our value systems and to live those value systems. Yeah, it, it, um, a few of the things that you just mentioned, it, rem it reminded me of Margot Slattery, the, um, the woman who wrote Hidden Figures. And oh, she, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she was asked the question, she lives in Charlottesburg, Virginia, and um, Charlottesville, Virginia, excuse me, mm -hmm. <laughs> the home of UVA. And yes. she was asked the question, <laughs> she was asked the question um, because the riots uh, that took place you know, in that area. And she was, she was asked like, what do you think of that? Like, what, what are your thoughts on it? And she basically said, and I, I think it's like one of the best answers ever around that particular subject was, we are not living up to the ideals of the constitution. And when she said that, I was like, that's a powerful response. It makes you think about, yeah, we as human beings, we're not perfect. We have a lot of work to do. Yeah. And especially when you look at yourself and you look within, you say, okay, what can I do? How can I do better? How can I contribute to the community in which I live? Mm -hmm. And then consequently, that goes out beyond that. So when you get beyond what we look like, the vessels that we're within, mm -hmm. you know, like it doesn't even dawn on me that you happen to be, a, you're a woman, you have more hair than me. What, <laughs> what does it matter? I'm it white. Yeah, I, you know. I'm older. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, is um, I think when people start to look at their ancestry and, and I think what they're starting to find is they thought they were this and then they all of a sudden they start to find out, oh, wow, I have a little bit of that and this and all of this in me, but we're human beings. Yeah. We're human beings. Yeah, we have some flaws. We got some work. We got some work to That's do. That's why we're here, I believe. Yes. You know, I think I think as humans that that is exactly it. And it's uh and and in talking about some of these women got the right to vote because men in Congress gave them the right to vote. Civil rights was passed because white people in Congress passed the legislation. We have to always focus on the middle. I mean, it happens in relationships, right? If you've got two people in a relationship, if they're not focused on the, the collective and the, the, that space in between, there is no relationship. And I think, you know, I see more good than bad in the world. I mean, I, I see we're in this mucky, messy middle, but the only way forward is together not yes. separate, not in identity politics, but in meaning-centered lives and collective lives. Like we came together, not because we're two people that have any separate, but because we have a, we have a mission and an interest 
And this is the future of moving beyond yeah. this deciding disadvantaged, not disadvantaged, whatever, to bringing kids together based on their interests, based on their passions, based on things that they are, they are good at and that they want to contribute. Then it, this is what the military did actually, you know, which is, you know, racism, you know, there's, I'm sure elements and certainly with women in the, in the military. But on the other hand, when they're in battle, they're not looking right and left and saying, what religion are you? What color are you? They're right. like, Oh my God, you got my back. You're trained to have my back. Let's go. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, I think of Pickett's charge. I think of uh, in uh, Gettysburg when people shoulder to shoulder walked into this field on D-Day, same thing. You know, you walk into this sure death, you know, and yet you're there because you're shoulder to shoulder and having each other's back. And, right. and that I'm hopeful of a society for our, our children and our grandchildren and everybody else is that how do we learn, which I think is finding the, the collective meaning that we, we value together and focus on that, not our separateness. Yeah, so that takes me back to you know, we're, we're, we're in a world of the internet of things, artificial intelligence. I guess some people don't even realize, depending on what type of phone you have, you know, I have an iPhone, so I'll say Siri, text so-and-so and so-and-so. <laughs> so we're using that technology, but what it comes back to, though, is the relational skills that, that we need to develop with one another and also within ourselves. So... I think this was a really fun segment. I, I've learned some things that I didn't know. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mentioned Brene Brown. I'm definitely a fan of hers because it, it does require courage uh, to be vulnerable. And, and as a man, we men need to do a better job of showing that we have feelings. Yes, women, we do have feelings. We hide them very well, which you already know. Mm -hmm. and, and we can do better. So I encourage everyone who's listening, you know, to reach out to someone to collaborate. If you have an idea, if you have ideas for us, you know, please reach out, please comment. If you like something, if you don't like something, we want to hear from you. Yeah. So again, Pam, it's been awesome. It's so fun. It's yes. so fun. Yes, absolutely fun. So thank you everyone for joining us on this particular segment. Like I said, please comment, reach out. Um, and our website is queued up with Ziz and Pam. Thank you again.